0: Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. Everybody and welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey.
1: And I'm Scott Gardner.
0: I'm going to apologize right now if my voice sounds kind of scratchy or whatever. I am battling a cold that I managed to pick up after the week of stress, which doesn't surprise me at all. But feeling much better today, uh, yesterday I, found, I felt like, you know, 20 pounds of shit stuffed into a four pound bag, so... Uh, awesome yeah <laughs> you you just get excited when I say things like that but that's okay that's okay uh so scott if you if you if I don't respond to you right away, it's because I've muted to cough or blow my nose,
1: okay, unlike me, when I don't respond to you, it's because I've nodded off.
0: oh wow, Jesus <laughs> eat me um, <laughs> this week. This week we're we're really excited about the books that we're going to be discussing. Uh, Scott is going to be doing the uh, major heavy lifting as far as synopses go. But Wait, I really? Am? Would... Yes, you are. God, God damn it! Uh, though, though, frankly, when you break down these stories, it's really just like two oversized comics. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, essentially since uh, the the second half of the episode, so to speak, is going to be composed of three 10 page stories so but i'm going to hand it over to scott to introduce everything and tell you what we're going to be talking about
1: why thank you all right well first up we're looking at batman family number 17 this is the april may 1978 issue beautiful cover on this one by mike kaluta who i've always been a fan of it's really a cool cover it's got a uh, one big star that has Batman in it, and then it's got four little uh, like satellite stars all around it that have Robin, the the Teen Wonder, Batgirl, the Huntress, and the Man Bat. But it is a really cool cover, and this is one of those. Uh,
0: <laughs> Man Bat looks like. What?
1: (laughs) Yeah. He looks like he just got called on and he has no idea what the answer is.
0: It's like you want to Photoshop saliva dripping down
1: his (laughs) 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 head. But it's cool, though. I like it.
0: Oh, it's a very beautiful cover.
1: This is, uh, let's see, 80 pages, all new stories for a buck. Damn, you couldn't beat that back in the day. Now, what I really like is... uh, the splash page on the interior. Sometimes this is a title page. Sometimes it's just like, I don't know, it's just some weird splash thingy, and that's what it is in this case. But check this out it's a really cool picture of Batman doing sort of a Dracula type of pose. Like, like, like a, oh, it's almost like one of the old universal monster poses or something. He's like, rah! You know, he's got his hands up with like claws or something. There's bats that, in the background.
0: Actually, it looks like the bat is flying up to the cliff and landing as Batman.
1: You know what? Yeah, now that you say that, it does kind of look like that. You're right.
0: That's kind of awesome.
1: But Alright, you can judge for yourself whether you think this part of it's awesome or not, though. Okay. <laughs> I don't,
0: but that's okay. <laughs>
1: Alright, here, here's, a, here's a little bit of poetry for you. When the cold wind howls, and the wild wolf growls, and the light of the day grows dim from the earth's dark bowel, In a cape and cowl, (laughs) stalks of figures solemn and grim. His viges is awesome, it's sheer terror to cross him, and the vilest men blanch with fear, but the innocent praise him, no villain can faze him, tis justice and law he reveres. The Batman. And I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and and say that I don't think this won any sort of like you know literary awards or anything <laughs> for 1978. Cause
0: holy, it's like you, shit. Also, you almost want a beatbox
1: Yeah, it sounds like it should be the lyrics like to some like Power Records public. Batman or no.
0: something. <laughs> <laughs> the light of the day grows dim From the earth's dark bell In a cape and a cow Oh,
1: a we gotta do that, Mike tail. We gotta figure that out dude. <laughs> we, we gotta release that <laughs> Oh, we totally have to Have to make that happen, I swear <laughs> well, You yeah, can just take would... my reading of it and, and set some sort of funk music To the to it, I don't care
0: What I should do is send this page To, uh, to my buddy uh, Kellen B-hyphen because uh, not only is he a podcaster <laughs> and comic fan, he is also a hip hop artist.
1: Oh, sweet! I'm
0: sure he could actually like turn this into something. Like, I'll I'll work on that. It probably won't be ready for this episode, but uh, but I'll but I'll definitely work on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that needs to happen. It really does. Okay. It, so anyway,
0: uh, did you ever did you ever see the movie Brotherhood of the Wolf?
1: Uh, no.
0: It was a it was a French film and, mm-hmm. and it's it's a really awesome movie. It mixes horror, uh, a period piece, and martial arts.
1: I helped a buddy of mine acquire the score to it by I want to say it was by Laduca, and I listened to a little bit of it and the score was really good. But that's about all of it I'm a, I'm aware of to be honest with you. I
0: don't know of anybody else. I'm not familiar with any of the other actors outside of Mark DeCostas, who was in the movie Only the Strong and he was the crow on that TV series version. Mm-hmm. It's kind of shitty. Uh, currently, he could be seen as like the master chef on Iron Chef America. <laughs> but, but he's a rather good martial artist and it's a really awesome, awesome movie. But in, uh, uh, it's basically set in Paris – about twenty or so years before the revolution, and this where this beast is terrorizing this small community, and uh, this naturalist and his Indian companion uh ride into town to investigate it, and they're all having dinner so it's big highfalutin you know pre revolutionary uh French dining where everyone's like dressed to the nines and this guy gets up and does this poem that is terrible and everyone knows (laughs) it everyone kind of laughs at him and that's what this reminds me of (laughs) and I bet you anything some douchebag ripped this off and tried to pass it on his own in like his English class because he didn't want to write a poem I'm sorry, go on ooh, Jim apart.
1: Yes, yes, Jim Apero, uh does the first. Now, this book is uh, it's broken down into chapters based on the characters that are in here. And um, the Huntress is in all but the final chapter of the book. So I'll, I'll, I'll sort of cover it that way. So this first chapter is the Batman and Robin story um it's entitled scars written by Jerry Conway with uh yeah absolutely gorgeous art by Jim Aparo and that's that's really the strongest selling point i i feel anyway of this particular story is the Jim Aparo artwork it's uh it's just classic really good stuff so uh anyway in this one Batman, apparently lacking for ways to spend an evening, wanders the streets of Gotham one hour after sunset when a newspaper carried by the breeze lands on his leg. Scooping it up, he sees the headline, Actress Missing, and suddenly he is on the case. You know, I'm not making that up either. That really is literally how this adventure starts.
0: Yeah, he is just kind of walking down the street and picks up a newspaper randomly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So anyhow, uh Batman proceeds to Park Row, last known location where Margot, the missing actress, was seen. There he spots a woman whom he mistakes for Margot, but when he stops her, the crazy faceless bitch goes completely apeshit on him, and the mighty Batman can barely defend himself. By the way, I would just like to uh, have this entered into evidence as uh, Exhibit B in my ongoing case against the insane notion that Batman stands any chance whatsoever of defeating Superman, okay? (laughs) So a mysterious man named Drake shows up, calls off the insane woman, and begs Batman's pardon because she's just kind of a little loopy in the head. He says that he's the girl's keeper and that they live across the river at an amusement park. Batman meets the most interesting people in his line of work, doesn't he, really? So, anyway, (laughs) so he asks to see the man's concealed face, but Drake refuses on the grounds that he likes to keep his deformity concealed. Thank you. We all appreciate that. And that he and the, uh, or rather, then he and the crazy woman drive off, leaving Batman standing under a streetlight and looking kind of silly, I have to admit. So, later at the swanky Wayne Foundation penthouse, I always did dig that place, uh, Batman returns to find his ward Dick Grayson has come to visit. Can, Dick- I,
0: can I stop you just for sure. a second? I'm looking at Dick in this picture, Uh-huh. and that is the exact same outfit that Jason Todd wore at the beginning of Death in the Family. When he went looking for he went went on his walk and found the old woman that kept all of his mother's stuff.
1: Well, I was going to say maybe it was hammy downs or something, but then again, you would think that uh, you know billionaire Bruce Wayne could afford <laughs> some new clothes for his kids. You, that's you would just think.
0: really strange. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to, to to stop you. It's just wow. No, no,
1: pretty- I'm I'm. I'm- I think that's cool that you actually notice things like that. You know, don't don't ever hesitate to to stop for for a point like that. That's cool. I I honestly don't remember, but I'll I'll trust you on that one. But, huh? I wonder if that was a conscious decision or or that you know, I mean, you know, there's certain artists like, uh, well, like Burn is is a perfect example where they they use. Stock poses or or things like that from time to time. I wonder if Apparel used stock clothes from time to time.
0: Might have been just something he had laying around the house. <laughs> <laughs> like fifteen, uh, like eight years later or so, or however long it was, he just digs it out again. Oh, I'll use this. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm looking at the trade paperback of of Death in the Family right now, and that's that's the same outfit. I, I I don't know if that makes me pathetic for for remembering clothing or if it just makes me really really observant. It's up to y'all.
1: It makes you freakishly observant. Very good. <laughs> so where the hell was I here? Oh, okay. Here we go. So uh, so anyway, Dick, uh, you know, he's come home to visit, and he's kind of bumming because it seems his best girl's ex boyfriend called her up just the other day and asked her to come to Gotham so that they could talk. She readily agreed, of course, because, you know, let's face it, women's is all evil deep down, you know. And she even asked Dick to come along just to torture the poor schlub. So she's off with the ex-boyfriend now, and Dick isn't too goddamn happy about it. So his tale of woe is suddenly interrupted by Alfred the butler, who has picked up an unauthorized visitor on the intruder alert system. Switching to Batman and Robin, Bruce and Dick ride down the secret elevator to meet the mysterious party head-on. There, Robin rushes into act- action, but is easily put down by a woman who tells the Cape Crusader that, quote, in a way, you might say, I'm your daughter. dun 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 dun, 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 dun. And soon back in the penthouse, the Huntress, daughter of the Earth to Batman, tells the dynamic duo her origin story. Turns out she has come to this Earth and to this Batman seeking advice she wishes to follow in her father's footsteps and to kind of learn the tricks of the trade from experienced heroes. So Batman recommends kathy kane the batwoman i'm like why didn't he just train her himself but anyway he's he's pretty quick to shuffle her off onto somebody else so he recommends uh kathy kane the batwoman and leaving dick to brood over his girl troubles he drives the huntress to the amusement park uh, where kathy is currently working and thinking of the amusement park batman decides that while he's there he's going to check up on that really freakish couple that he met at the beginning of the story So meanwhile, Dick Grayson checks up on his girl, only to learn that she and her ex-boyfriend have gone to, wait for it, the amusement park. See, it's all about the amusement park in this one. So at this much-talked-about amusement park, Batman leaves the Huntress, now in her Helena Wayne identity, with Kathy Kane, and does some digging around on this Drake guy. What he finds disturbs him greatly. Horribly deformed freak show performers locked up in cages. Momentarily taken aback, Batman is struck from behind and rendered unconscious. He awakens to find himself chained and strung upside down. Dick's girlfriend lies strapped on a table nearby, and the ex-boyfriend, now calling himself Scar, is ranting and raving. Seems he caught a cleat to the puss in a college football game that, quote, destroyed his beauty forever (laughs) and now he's gonna make the whole goddamn world pay the price his mission uglify everybody and he's already (laughs) begun (laughs) those horribly deformed freak show people that batman saw locked up they were all pretty people once so anyway long story short well of course batman escapes his bonds and he frees dick's girlfriend so you know before she can be uglified and Robin shows up just in the nick of time to pound on Scar just a little bit. And then he and Batman kind of switch off and Robin goes to check on his girl and Batman runs Scar down in a, wait for it again, a House of Mirrors. I bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> there, Batman yanks off the mask to reveal Mrs. Baker. Oh, wait, sorry. No, that's uh, Scooby-Doo <laughs> meets Batman and Robin. My bad. <laughs>
0: well played sir well played.
1: (laughs) he reveals uh dick's girlfriend's ex-boyfriend well wait wait we knew that already right well anyway it turns out that uh there's not a goddamn thing wrong with this friggin asshole except that he's got this tiny little scar under his left eye at which point i kind of wish batman had just like kicked him in the throat but instead, he throws down the guy's mask and leaves him sobbing, surrounded by his own reflected image, which he sees as, like, all hideous and disfigured and everything. So, overall, uh, you know, I like the Huntress parts of this, and the art yeah. is fantastic. Oh, you know, the, the especially the part, and, and I kind of breeze past it uh, pretty fast in my synopsis, but the part where... Robin and, and Huntress kind of kind of dance a little bit, you know, when he tries to attack her, not knowing who she is, and she defends herself. That's pretty cool. I really like that part. And, you know, the story's not bad or anything. It comes off a little bit lame now because I think that this, you know, I think I'm hideously scarred, but I'm really not, so I'll seek revenge story has been done a lot of times. At, at least it seems that way. Like, I've heard that story a number of times in comics and everything. Because, uh well, there's that one episode of Batman, the animated series mean seasons, I think is the name of it where the calendar girl that it turns out that that's pretty much her, her whole beef in that episode is that she thinks she's like hideously deformed, but at the end of the episode, you actually see her. And uh, if I remember properly, she's actually like really hot, but for some reason she, she thinks that she's ugly. I, I can't remember what the whole deal was with that. And I know I've, Heard that in in other instances too. I think that may have been Doctor Doom's deal for a while.
0: I th- I think it. I was about actually about to say something about that. I, I, I do think that was Doctor Doom's. Like there was a rumor that he wasn't really scarred, but yeah, I, th- I think it was burned that that put that one to rest. And and it is kind of a silly story. I I have like one or two nitpicks about the story. Uh, one Robin's wondering at one point what a daughter of Batman would mean for his place in the family. Yeah. And you got to think that he would go, wait a second. I've met the earth Two Robin. He seems pretty well adjusted. In fact, he gave me that nifty costume once and told me to live my own life. Yeah, I'll be cool. <laughs> it's it's just a, we- it's, it's a, it's a, a moment that I, I I can buy because you know you know just suddenly you know you've been the son your entire life and now this woman shows up and dad wants to go hang out with her because frankly she's kind of attractive. But
1: I was just going to say I think a more realistic uh, uh, approach for Dick Grayson would be like, damn, she's hot, you know. <laughs> I mean he's already, he's having trouble with this with this other girl that he's scamming on in the beginning of this story. I, I think that, you know, he should stop his damn pouting and he should get to work on scamming on the huntress myself, but
0: Yeah, cuz he doesn't have the uh the the emotional hang up of having raised her.
1: You right. Know,
0: they're, they're they're roughly the same age probably. He's probably a little younger, so she's like the hot older.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah. Uh that and when um when he t- when he goes to the hotel to to meet up with his girlfriend and and her ex which yeah that's what I want to do is go to the hotel to meet up with my girlfriend and 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 her ex. Mill said Miss Elton left the hotel 2 hours ago though she did leave a message for a Mr. Grayson. That's me, turkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did he really just call him a turkey? I guess it is, like, the late 70s, isn't it? Wasn't that, like, the big thing for people to call each other in that era?
1: He heard Black Lightning call somebody that, and he thought it was awesome, so now he's going to do it.
0: Well, that was, like, the the favorite insult of a Kenneth Johnson Incredible Hulk episode, when somebody was trying to insult the other one. It's like, look, turkey. It's like, oh, God.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, they, uh, what's his name? God, this is such a tangent, but, uh... Here, here, you go. Here's, here's. You just had your geeky moment a minute ago. Here's my geeky moment, is uh, in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when Richard Dreyfuss is out in the middle of friggin' nowhere in that one part trying to read a map, and the guy you know drives up and cusses him out and then drives off. He says something like, "Can you tell me where cornbread is? Turkey." <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it's one of my favorite parts of that movie. You know, like you say, who calls somebody a turkey? But I guess back back then they must have. <laughs> but uh, a couple other quick things I had on this issue. Um, this looks like this may be the origin of um, Helena calling uh, the Earth-1 Batman uncle. Cause she,
0: yeah, I noticed that.
1: Yeah. Well, also, you know, I forgot to make a note of this, but uh, as the listeners are, are no doubt aware by this point, um I screwed up a while back. It turns out it looks you know I when we were t- covering the um, the Justice League Justice Society team-ups post um the revival of the JSA in All-Star Comics number 58. I think whatever the first story was that had the Huntress and Batman in it, I can't remember what number issue that was now, but whichever issue that was, I think we referred to that as the first meeting of those characters well that that's obviously right here yeah is where they're meeting i just i didn't remember that and hadn't looked it up prior to that point so sorry we screwed up
0: i i have one last note and that is i really feel bad for the huntress in this issue she comes all the way to earth to to meet the batman to ask his advice because her dad's not dead yet so she's wondering, you know, how she can best handle this. Batman's like, uh, I can't help you, uh let's take you to Batwoman. Right. So he takes her to the Earth One Batwoman who immediately says, uh, I can't help you, you gotta talk to Batgirl
1: <laughs> Yeah, she kinda gets shuffled all over the place. And yeah, <laughs> it it's not bad enough that like you say, you know, the guy that she came to see pretty much blows her off, but then as we'll see here in a moment, she gets wrapped up in this whole wacky series of of Mishaps and adventures after this too that really don't have anything to do with her. This is yeah. why I said a while back, you know, if I was one of the 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 JSAers, there's no way I'd ever go to Earth One because every time they go there, they get the shaft. It seems like if they don't wind up dead, like Mister Terrific. Yeah. <laughs> well, my last note on this one, really, the 800 pound gorilla in the room. There's no denying it, folks. Batman gets his ass kicked by a girl. A girl. <laughs> now, granted that she's a creepy-looking, faceless, wailing, psycho girl, but she is a girl nonetheless. So I just have to ask, can we all agree to please shut up now about how he could handily take down anyone and every, everyone from Galactus to Jesus now? Can we do that? Because he just got owned by a girl. Okay. Don't Thank know if you. I've ever heard I the
0: appreciate the Batman Jesus it. debate, but I'm sure that's been that on needs a, to on a be.
1: Forum. Oh yeah, that needs to be one of those uh, all new collectors edition giant size with that, like it, <laughs> <laughs> with like a wrap around Neil Adams cover with like <laughs> Jimmy Carter on it. <laughs> Batman versus Jeanette and Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> Superman's head in the audience instead of Batman.
1: Although I have to admit, I for, for many, many years, I thought Jeanette Kahn was Mary Tyler Moore in that picture. I really did.
0: <laughs> she does kind of have that Mary Tyler Moore look. Yeah. Which isn't surprising, but no. That
1: <laughs> Somebody please Photoshop that, or if you have an ounce of artistic skill like I do not, I would love to see that change the the Superman versus Muhammad Ali cover to, to Batman, Batman versus, versus Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I gotta see that.
0: The Son of God versus the Dark Knight.
1: <laughs> the, king of the, ki- the King The King of Kings a-
0: versus the world's greatest detective.
1: <laughs> Jesus doesn't stand a
0: chance. <laughs> Batman faces his worst test ever. <laughs> and the little caption should be, If I win, I'll go to hell. <laughs> oh, we're going to get letters on that one.
1: <laughs> if I don't, Earth is doomed. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, we are going to get letters. You're absolutely right.
0: But that's okay. I'm a lapsed Catholic. <sighs> so.
1: oh, man. Okay.
0: And, and you your background is even
1: scarier than mine, so I'll just say lapsed <laughs> <laughs> everything. <laughs> okay, so the next chapter. Uh the Huntress's appearance continues into the next chapter called The Horoscopes of Crime, written by Bob Rosicus. Yes, that Bob Rosicus, the answer man. Uh Don Heck. Bob Wyacek and Vince Coletta are the artists for this one. Catwoman and Poison Ivy are warned by Madame Zodiac that Batgirl and the Huntress are going to thwart their evil schemes. They kind of think that she's full of shit, and they basically tell her so to her face. Soon afterwards, however, Poison Ivy does indeed find herself up against Batgirl when she attempts to up her criminal rep by offing a bunch of visiting dignitaries who, it just happens to turn out, are being shown around by Barbara Gordon, U.S. Representative for Gotham City. Batgirl makes short work of Poison Ivy's scheme, but is bonked unconscious by an unseen figure before she can apprehend the villainous. So at the Gotham airport... Helena, the Huntress Wayne, continues her Earth One visit and is about to board a plane for who the hell knows what reason when she witnesses the Catwoman trying to kidnap a baseball player named Catfish for her collection. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) God. Uh, Yeah. I I blocked this part of the story out. (laughs) So I guess her plan was to, I don't know, maybe send him to CGC and have him slabbed or something. I I don't know. It's kind of (laughs) stupid. So anyhow, Helena changes into her costume and the tussle is on. And at first, she's having a hard time fighting Catwoman because Catwoman reminds her so much of her now-dead mother, the Earth-2 Catwoman, which was something I kind of like. I thought that was a, a, a nice story element. But she gets over it pretty quickly and wins the fight. But she doesn't get much time to celebrate, however, because she is unceremoniously bonked on the head, too, just like Batgirl. So back at Madame Zodiac's place, Catwoman and Poison Ivy come to figure that maybe Zodiac isn't quite so full of shit after all. So uh, it is also revealed that Zodiac was the mysterious deliverer of bonks to heroines' heads, which I guess means that she really gets around too, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) Which was another story element that kind of bugged me a little bit. So later, Kathy Kane introduces Helena to Barbara Gordon, who is kind of a bitch to her at first, I think. But then they all make nice and decide to go off for a bite to eat together. While they're all together, the girls happen to be conveniently close to where Zodiac is pulling off her big scheme. With the aid of Catwoman and Poison Ivy, her big scheme is to steal an Indian ceremonial pipe. Yeah. The uh, good girls defeat the bad girls, and Zodiac is able to get her mitts on the pipe, and she simply fades away. And that's it.
0: <laughs> um, I got a number of problems with this story. Yeah. I don't know about you, but...
1: Well, yeah, my, my big one right off the bat, and I'm sorry, I just cannot pull punches when 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 these two fellas are involved. The R is blah. I'm going to
0: actually agree with you.
1: Yeah. I never liked Don Heck to begin with, but sometimes, sometimes he's passable, but this isn't one of those times doing very large part to Vinnie Coletta, who just, I'm sorry, Vinnie Coletta was a shit inker, and so when you've got an artist that's not that hot to begin with, it just doesn't work out, and in this story, it doesn't work out.
0: Yeah, this looks like, the three artists came together and just couldn't quite get it right. Yeah, and, and on most of the pages, and I think that's that's one of the biggest disappointments. Is because you know when we do the Steel episode in a couple of weeks, you know I really like the artwork on that, and it's Don Heck, and I liked the Flash run he did with Carrie Bates in the late two nineties.
1: Who's inking him on that Steel project?
0: Uh, I do not know off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um it might be Vinnie Coletta. <laughs> no, Vinny Coletta. <laughs> but um but you know, the, the it's like Catwoman on like page I guess it's page forty nine or page ten of the story. It's like she goes from having like an angular head to a completely round head. Mm-hmm. And Poison Ivy doesn't look good, Batgirl doesn't look good, the Huntress certainly doesn't look good, and frankly, if if they weren't colored differently, with the headshots, I couldn't tell the difference between Batwoman and the Huntress. You're right. I mean, it's just. It, again, it's just really disappointing because, you know, this is a part. You know, the first story is Aparo when Aparo was in his element, you know? This was his time as the Batman artist. And then we follow it with this. And I'm sorry, Bob Rozakis' story sucks. This is like <laughs> 60s <laughs> Batman TV series style. Plotting at its worst. I mean, the the concept here is that you're going to have Batgirl and the Batwoman of Earth One. And let me ask you this, Scott: Is there a Batwoman of Earth One and a Batwoman of Earth Two? I think there is. Ooh, yeah, I
1: think there is. Cause, uh, who because who is in the- that
0: Brave and the Bold story, like Brave and the Bold One Ninety Seven, where you show where they showed how Catwoman and Batman of Earth Two hooked up? Mm-hmm. He thinks about Kathy Kane. So, yeah, there's a difference here. This is the bat- I That's kind of interesting. I never really thought about that before. Hmm. But, you know, you have the Batwoman of Earth-1, the Batgirl of Earth-1 meeting of the Huntress, and it's just not interesting. At all. <laughs> and it just makes me sad. I mean, it really does. This story was an extreme disappointment from, like, beginning to end because it really doesn't – they don't do anything. They just stand around talking for two minutes, and that's, that should have been the crux of the story. You know, the, the most emotionally impactful scene was when the Huntress couldn't fight Catwoman. Yeah. And that's it because it looks like her mom. And that could have been played with.
1: And, and yeah, that definitely could have panned out a little bit more. There there could have been more to it. It the the Huntress's role in this story is is awkward at best. Yeah. Because it never really goes anywhere.
0: You know, and <sighs> You could have had more with Batgirl and Huntress having something in common that both of their fathers are the commissioners of police. I mean, they mention it, but then it's like thrown away. And you're right. She's a complete bitch to her. Yeah, she is. So, so what can I tell you, Helena, that being a superheroine in a superhero's world can be rewarding? Or what kind of bat makeup I use on my big case? What the hell?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm she's basically telling her, I haven't got time to fucking babysit you. That's what she's telling her. Eh, I got just, time for your bullshit.
0: Just, oh man, this this story was kind of ass.
1: <laughs> well, you know, two things occurred to me while, while you were mentioning that. I, I can't believe I've never thought of this before on the art side of it. You know, I've heard a lot, and I mean a lot of, of things over the years. You know, whether it's things I've heard people say or articles I've read and different fanzines or tra- uh, trade magazines or whatever, you know, commenting about, you know, how do we get more girls into, com- you know, back, back, you know, when I was a kid, you know, back in like, say like the seventies and eighties, it was, how do we get girls into comic books? And then later in the nineties and, you know, up to the present, it's be- it's become, you know, how can we get more girls and, and young women into comics? You know, how can we get the females to to pick up and read comics? I think back during this time, one of the things that would have helped a lot, and I can't believe I never noticed it till this point, is every time they had a girl-centric story, whether it was a Lois Lane story or Wonder Woman or whatever, you ever notice that the art was, like, piss poor? I mean, nine times out of ten, they got, like, like, honestly, some of their worst people to do those stories. I mean, because I'm... You know, as I'm collecting or trying to collect the Wonder Woman issues with the Huntress backup in them, I'm noticing more and more that the the, uh, the Wonder Woman stories themselves, which honestly I don't really look at, you know, I don't I don't read them except for the later like the Gene Cullen stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's one of the reasons the Cullen stuff stood out so much and that it's so highly sought after is for a change, you finally got somebody good drawn Wonder Woman. But a lot of that stuff, you know, prior to him coming along, and then especially the stuff after he left leading up to the cancellation of that book around the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths, man, that art on that was horrible. And I've noticed that with a lot of of the girl stories, like yeah. Lois Lane stuff in Superman Family. That stuff was, was
0: always ass.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was just one of the reasons I always skipped it because it just wasn't visually appealing to me.
0: And this, and, and mind you, that's this is the '70s version that we're talking about, not the Kurt Schaefenberger stuff, which I actually rather, you know, kind of like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when you get into the '70s, when it just... Man, the Lois Lane stories and the Jimmy Olsen stories were always the ones I wanted to skip when I'm reading Superman Family. I always
1: do skip them,
0: <laughs> but I don't because I want to be a completist and say I've read all of them. But I just feel like dirty and shameful after I've done so. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's been a weird week, so maybe I'm just in a bad mood.
1: <laughs> well, a couple other quick things on this part of the story. I didn't comment on this during my uh, synopsis because I wasn't sure how to incorporate it in. But scattered constantly throughout this story are these just completely just silly and annoying and asinine puns by Poison Ivy and Catwoman. You know, mm-hmm. on Poison Ivy's side, they're all plant based. You know, she would say something like, "Well, I think you're barking up the wrong tree" and shit like that. And then <laughs> Catwoman was constantly, you know, it was everything was cat related. It was, you know, well, that that would be a catastrophe! Ha <laughs> ha ha! And then you're like, "Come on, I mean." You know, that seems completely out of place in this era of comics. I mean, that's really like a, a, a 50s and 60s tactic, isn't it? I mean, we're, I can't believe they were writing that way this late.
0: That the, Yeah, that was kind of my point, too, earlier, is that, the, you know, we have a issue that opens up with the three villains, like, scheming together. And all I heard in the background was... Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, over and over and over again. Right. No, I- <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: where the hell was Helena going to fly off to? Yeah, where,
0: where is she going?
1: I, I really need to know this. I, I don't. I never did figure that out, where she was headed in this story.
0: You know what this story is? The only thing missing from this story... Is, uh, Madam Zodiac, like, instead of grabbing that, that pipe at the end, grabbing like some
1: fucking hostess fruit pie? I was just going to say Twinkies. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. We we're on out. It's such a great Oh my God. I was just thinking the same thing. Cause even the
0: artwork's kind of crappy. Like some of those. Hostess yeah. fruit
1: you were, it could totally Photoshop that piece pipe into being a Twinkie <laughs> at the end of this story and it would make perfect sense to me then. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> All right, I don't want to end this segment on on a on a down note, so I will throw out my one huge positive for this story. I was always a fan of Batwoman, and it's mm-hmm. nice to see her in action again. Yes. However, briefly in this one, she does at least get to uh, knock a couple fillings loose in Madame Zodiac, so that's actually pretty cool. You know, I, I'm far too young to have really read much of Batwoman, you know in in her classic heyday but whenever she has popped up subsequently I always enjoy it I always get a kick out of it I think she's got a cool costume yeah it's not particularly reminiscent of a bat but she still no. looks cool I I still think it's a really neat outfit and uh yeah it's nice to see her well, although gonna, where the hell's her purse
0: I'm going to tell you though that the first Batman comics I ever read were from Batman from the '30s to the '70s, which I checked out of the Fairview Elementary School Library like a thousand times mm-hmm. uh, th- from first through fourth grade, and they reprint in that book the first appearance of Batwoman, the first appearance of the Bat Hyphen Girl, uh, one of the big adventures that her and Batman I suppose, and Robin like, shared Bat together. Bat hymen
1: Girl is the- oh no, never mind.
0: No, that was broken by Dick Grayson around nineteen seventy two. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from But they also had like a, a an imaginary story Where they were imagining what Batman 2 and Robin 2 Would oh, be I like in the future yeah. And it turns out to be like a story Alfred, Alfred's basically writing fan fiction in his spare time But the silly thing about that Batman 2 and Robin 2 story Is that they actually put the Roman numeral yeah, 2 On the fucking costume <laughs> <gods laughs> like, Right on their
1: chest, I know, it. I loved it
0: but John Byrne would pick up on that story in generations by making Bruce and whoever his wife's son was blonde, because he was blonde for some bizarre reason in that story. So it it, it all kind of comes back around to itself.
1: Dude, we still need to cover that at some point. Oh, no we, shit. <laughs> do we need to do Superman And it should be on this, this
0: show, because frankly, that's Earth 2. And uh, I don't want to hear any other kind of you know back talk on that. Cause how do
1: you figure uh, that?
0: It's Earth. Uh, they all came out in the Golden Age. It's Earth two. Uh
1: I I, I guess maybe. I don't know. I don't care where we do it. I just no back talk. It at, I just no, want just... to cover it. At some
0: <laughs> <point>. <laughs> oh yes, I'm I'm really excited to do that. Uh, we still have to decide how we're going to cover it. But um, if we want to do it chronologically or by series, don't know. I think by doing it chronologically would be a lot more fun.
1: Don't know. Don't care. I just want to cover it.
0: So are we going to mention her last appearance at this issue? Yep.
1: I got notes on that as well. Um, The last bit of the issue, um, the Huntress appears for two panels in which she bids farewell to Batman and Batgirl on the JLA satellite and returns home to Earth 2 via the Interdimensional Transporter in the ba- uh, Man-Bat and Demon crossover story by Bob Rusickus and Michael Golden and Golden by the way draws a great huntress and yes. I've also been I've always been very fond of his uh, rendition of Batman as well it's it's really solid stuff and as I was looking through these issues I kept looking at his uh, his Batman and thinking, you know, how awesome it was and all that, but also it, it kept reminding me of something, and it finally hit me. I wonder if that's why I've always been very partial to um, Pat Broderick's version of Batman, because I think Pat Broderick's version owes a lot to Michael Golden's version. I think they're very similar.
0: I could see that. Actually, I was thinking, I was looking at this uh, Man Bat Demon story and it seems like a lot of what Matt Wagner did with the demon in that four-issue miniseries that came out, like 86, 87, mm-hmm. looks a lot like this. It really yeah, does. I his demon and it, his Jason it, blood look a lot like what Golden's doing here, and it's and it's interesting, Golden, because this isn't what I would consider typical quintessential Michael Golden art. It's it's a, it's very cartoony yeah. um, for what he would eventually do, but yeah, I can see a lot of a lot of Pat Broderick in this, well, this uh, in this artwork.
1: This is close to um, his Micronauts stuff. You know, after his Micronauts stuff, he he started to somewhat change his style and get less um, cartoony. Because I agree with you, it is it is rather cartoony looking. Um, and I think after Micronauts, he began to to really refine his style. Because then, if you look at his later stuff, like say the Nom I don't think that's uh-huh. cartoony at all. And and no. there's it, while it's awesome, it doesn't really resemble this, this earlier stuff that he was doing, you know, back in this time period. But I, I still love it. Now, I did not um, go ahead and reread the rest of the issue with the Man Bat story and all that. But really, because we're, we're focusing on the Huntress. And that ends uh-huh. the Huntress's involvement um, in this issue. So... So, moving along, we're at uh, Batman Family number 18. This is the June-July 1978 issue. Cover on this by Jim Starlin. It's a pretty cool one. It shows like demon hands coming up out of the sewer and reaching for Batman and Robin and uh, Batgirl and Man-Bat are on hand as well. And the Huntress actually has her own little like cover circle blurb thing that says, at last, in her own series, the Huntress. So, uh, I just have to mention on the... uh, on the very first page, it's a splash. It's not really a title splash, because there's no words on it, but it's done kind of like a title splash. But it's this yes. beautiful picture by uh, Joe Staton it shows Batman kind of swinging over the city, and all these newspapers are blowing by him, and they have face shots of all the other characters in the issue. So just to briefly mention the uh, the other features, we've got uh, Batman by Denny O'Neill, Mike Golden, and... He's credited here as Craig Russell, but I believe that is P. Craig Russell, as he would later uh, come to be known. Um, there's also a Robin the Teen Wonder story by Rosicus Juan Ortiz, whose uh, work on Crypto, uh, the Superdog, over in Superman Family, I really enjoyed a lot. And uh, Dave Hunt. There's Batgirl, again by Rosicus uh, again by Ortiz, and Vinnie Coletta on the inks. It's the resolution of the Madame Zodiac Dangler from last issue, and
0: and nobody cared.
1: Yeah, I didn't even. I didn't read it. All I, all I saw was that she captured her at the end of it. Um, Manbat by Ruzicus. Damn, he was busy in this issue. Uh, Danny Bulanati. I I always have. I always want to say Bulandi on that, but it's not right. It's Bulanati, I believe. And uh, Romeo Tengal. And lastly, the Huntress in a choice of destinies. Right around this one is Paul Levitz. Joe Staten is the penciler and Bob Layton is the inker. Helena Wayne, attorney at law and secretly the huntress, tells her coworkers, "I've been preoccupied with some personal problems lately, which I'm pretty sure is number 2 on the what never to say at work list, right behind <laughs> one day I'm going to kill all you motherfuckers." So,
0: I'm going to kill myself somebody. <laughs>
1: So the that, old, that's
0: a direct quote, by the way, from a co-worker of mine that somebody he worked with back in the day said right before that guy was fired.
1: Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So the old man, uh, Cranston is his name. He is uh, very encouraging of Bruce Wayne's little girl. But the very Steve Lombard-esque Roger, De, is it Demarist? Demarest? 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 I'm going to say Demarest.
0: I I, I just call him Roger Douchebag. Okay, Roger Douchebag.
1: That works perfectly. This guy is an out-and-out dick to her. (laughs) He is.
0: And he's really fucking lucky, too, because she's got to keep up appearances because, you know, any other place, she would have just knocked him on his ass.
1: Yep. Well, at the very least, she ought to like have some scathing remark about, you know, how he's dressed or something. Because, I mean, come on, even in 1978, this guy's dressed like a total just tool, you know, I mean, with his his big flare collar and his sports jacket and his giant ass medallion. that He looks like he stole it off of ISIS or something. And uh, (laughs) so, I mean, he's such a dick. he, He goes so far as to tell her that she has no legal talent whatsoever. I mean, he's. Just a jerk to her. So Cranston tries to buck her up with his little, you know, ah, he's just an asshole, don't let him get you down speech. And Helena, feeling that she could be doing a lot more about injustice, changes to the Huntress and goes out on the town to investigate suspected arson in South Gotham. There she witnesses a child tell some folks to come a-runnin', as another block is going up in flames. The Huntress dares go where firefighters fear to tread and rescues some trapped old folks, but only narrowly escapes with her own life when the roof collapses. For some reason, she changes back to her civvies. I didn't understand this part at all. And after checking up on the people that she rescued, she just happens to spot the same little boy that called everyone to the scene of the fire in the first place. She follows him to an alleyway where a mysterious figure gives the boy cash and another incendiary device. I knew I was going to have trouble with that word. Incendiary device. She uh, dashes into the alley, but both are gone and the hunt begins. Now, this this is basically like backup size. So that's the end of that that part of this issue featuring the Huntress. Now, I know I'm probably going to end up saying this a million times as we cover these Huntress backup features and stuff, but the art, Oh my God, is it great. And, uh, yes. Staten draws one damn sexy Huntress. She's hot in this issue. And I really dig those, uh, style in seventies threads that she's, uh, she's sporting in this. She's
0: got, yeah. She's got a turtleneck and she's got like knee high boots uh, on that first page where it says a choice of destiny, destiny, destiny doesn't it look like uh, Cranston and, and douchebag are like, like he's looking at him and said, "She's got a sweet ass." Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> uh, the one—that's
1: th- <laughs> <Well>, <laughs> why the old fart's being so nice to her. I—I I think he's just a dirty old man myself.
0: Yeah, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Oh, no, um, there's not. On that uh, that that first like shot of him on the next page though. Roger looks like he's got, like, the most serious buck to you. Like, you expect him to talk like this? My name is Roger. <laughs> Eleanor, our meeting broke up minutes ago. You could stop daydreaming now. But doesn't doesn't Cranston look like Simon Stagg?
1: He looks, yeah, he. I kept trying to place him, like, who he reminded me of. And the, the closest I could come up with was... Uh, justin hammer from uh yeah. from iron man but I, that's not even quite right because he's got that really wide head yeah. and it reminds me of somebody else in comics i just can't quite uh,
0: he just reminds me of uh simon stagg the nemesis of uh metamorpho metamorpho
1: metamorpho, metamorpho
0: character i have never given a rat's ass about
1: hey but he's got a cool (laughs) song though
0: yeah everybody had a cool song on an album (laughs) sky in that not at all kind of way
1: because i am the element man
0: no you're absolutely right about the artwork in this bob layton and joe staton make a great team you know the heads are a little wonky at times, but that you know I've just come to to accept that as state and style, mm-hmm. to the point where it really doesn't bug me anymore. But she is absolutely gorgeous yep. throughout this entire story, and even though she's like fully clothed on page nine, it's still kind of cool to see and kind of sexy that that skirt is swirling around her mm-hmm. as she's putting it back on. It's it's just a really neat look, mm-hmm. I think.
1: And uh another thing on our laundry list, our, our huge and growing, ever-growing list of things to do one of these days, we have totally, totally got to record a new version of the Super Siren ad on the back cover because I'm really, really itching to do a, uh what, you know, a, a basically a Two True Freaks version of this ad. I think that could be <laughs> a, because I really, really want to voice Mr. Jones in this ad. You're like, God damn it, Bobby!
0: That was a good goddamn it, sir.
1: <laughs> I practice every day at I my got kids. Two kids,
0: I was about to say, you got two <laughs> kids, <laughs> and I'm at work, so it's like goddamn it.
1: I just want to alter it just just slightly because I, I, for one, I want Bobby to admit his crime, and also <laughs> I really want Bobby to end up dead by Mister Jones backing over him anyway despite the super siren at the like
0: like the sound of a brake squealing and then it like running over something and here like, ah, ah.
1: cuz i think if it turned out at the end of this story that mr jones was stone deaf this would be the funniest friggin ad i'd ever seen in my life
0: either that or mr jones was a pedophile and he was running him over to kill <laughs> <laughs> Tales of the JSA, making pedophilia funny since 2010.
1: <laughs> oh god, I love it! I love it! All right, let's move along to, uh, to the next Batman one. family number 19 before we dig ourselves any further. Oh my god, I can't wait to see the mail for this episode.
0: Oh god.
1: So, Batman family number 19, the August, September, 1978 issue. Another stunning cover by Mike Kaluta, which, uh, I really like. this one. It shows this white bat, this giant white bat is, uh, biting this dude right in the neck. And then like in the background, it almost looks like it's in the middle of like a snowstorm or something, but in the background, you've got uh, these giant heads of Batman, Robin and Batgirl. And, uh, the Huntress and Man Bat are reduced to just little little teeny tiny headshots up around the uh, Batman family logo. And let's see, there is no splash page in this particular issue. We uh let's see, the other features in here besides the Huntress are Batman, uh again by O'Neill, Michael Golden, and P. Craig Russell. We got Batgirl by Ruzicus Ortiz and Vince Coletta. And uh Oh, I made a note to myself to mention that uh, Batgirl has a great rack in the Batgirl story (laughs) in this one. what? And myself was right, too, as I flipped past those pages. Wow, yeah. Sweet. I might have to go back and check that out later.
0: Talk about being stacked like the Library of Congress. There you go. Hey,
1: and wasn't she a librarian at one point, too?
0: Exactly. Oh,
1: I love it. So we got Robin the Teen Wonder by Rosicus, uh, Juan Ortiz, and Bruce Patterson this time. Mambat by Rosicus. God damn, he was busy for another issue. Uh Danny Bulinati and Romeo Tongal. And now Huntress in Gotham Town is burning down, written by Paul Levitz. Staten and uh Bob Layton are back as the uh the artists in this one. And suddenly, back in her costume, with no explanation whatsoever, the Huntress clears debris out of the alleyway and makes her way to a deserted courtyard where she decides to watch and wait. Sure enough, at three o'clock in the morning, a light comes on in one of the windows and she swings into action. Stealthily, the Dark Knight's daughter creeps up on a man building an incendiary device but she is spotted, shot at, and falls off the window ledge that she was perched on. The man speeds off in his car, and the Huntress is left feeling like a chump. Back at her law office the next day, we are treated to more of Helena uh, just really not being all that into her job, (laughs) Princeton trying to reassure her, and uh, the douchebag guy really being, in this case, a world-class douchebag guy. He snaps on her TV to show her Councilman Gresham talking about the South Gotham fires. Gresham is, in, uh, in, is intent on rebuilding uh, that, that area, the South Gotham area, and this uh, asshole Demarest guy thinks that the firm of Cranston, Grayson, and Wayne ought to help him out. So Helena agrees while secretly vowing to continue her own campaign as the Huntress. And we are treated to some spectacular state and artwork depicting the huntress trying to uh pick up leads on the mysterious arsonist amidst all these uh continuing fires in South Gotham and a whole page of Helena putting herself through her paces on uh all this like state of the art exercise equipment. I really like that page a lot. But yes. the uh real break in the case comes when Helena sees Demarest on TV with Gresham, uh and she shouts Eureka! The case! She is solved! Well, no, she doesn't really say that. You know, you get the point.
0: The case! She be solved!
1: (laughs) And she heads over to Gresham's place. She attempts to crack his safe uh, for a peek at his files, but is busted and, wait for it, bonked on the head, rendered unconscious, while Gresham uh, advises his lackey to finish the job by, quote, killing her i don't know why i even said quote it just was killing her anyway that was uh that's that one so that one ends uh, again on a cliffhanger and let's wrap this up with batman number 20 uh the october november 1978 issue we got a wraparound cover this time by uh jim starlin with a uh great looking back girl on the back cover uh, i might add And uh, the Huntress, sadly, only mentioned in copy on this cover. She's, uh... oh, wait, no, I take that back. She is uh, shown on the front cover. I was looking strictly at the back cover. She's She's not a headshot. Yeah, she's got a little headshot up there by the logo. I take it back. Um, No splash page and no ads in this one. They went to 68 pages, uh, all new content, but no ads. Other features are Batman by David V. Reed, Michael Golden, and Bob Smith featuring special guest The Ragman. I was just listening to a show the other day where somebody said that their favorite character was The Ragman, and now for the life of me, I can't remember what the hell show I was listening to.
0: Were you listening to Views?
1: It may have been Views because I've been trying to get all caught up on on your back episodes, so it may may very well have been Views.
0: Because when I went to the old Titans, uh, I did an episode there. That's what it was. uh, I was (laughs)
1: just listening to that, yeah.
0: And my buddy Chip loves
1: That's Ragnan. what it was. You are correct, sir. That is no. exactly what it was. Yeah, because uh, cause Chuck was, I was listening to Chuck on that one. Hi, Chuck. I hope he's still listening.
0: Oh, I'm sure he is. He's probably on the skeet range right now. <laughs> Don't get shot.
1: Uh, let's see here. Oh, if your gun jams, do not look down the barrel and jam the butt on the ground. That's a bad, bad thing. Uh, let's see here. Robin and Batgirl together in a story by Bob Ruzicus, Don Heck, and John Kellis. Is it Kellinart? Kellardo or Salardo? You know, this was a totally new name on me. I-, I have never seen this name before. Anyway, uh, that one features also the Red Tornado and the Elongated Man. And a man-bat story by Rusicus, Golden, and he's credited here as Joseph Rubenstein. I'm sure that's Joe Rubenstein, a uh, classic... <sighs> Really like yes. yeah. And the Huntress in trial by fire. All the usual guys are back, Levitt, Staten, and Bob Layton. So the Huntress revives to find herself tied to a chair in a burning building. Conveniently, her last two appearances flash before her eyes, and she manages to bust the chair that she's tied to. Almost free, she burns the rope still binding her, setting her cape aflame in the process, and flees to safety just in time. Back at her place and freshly showered, she parades around in a, only a bathrobe with plenty of cleavage showing just to entice me, the dirty, dirty girl, and tries to figure <laughs> a way to nail fresh him. Wow. <laughs> she knows he done it, but she needs proof. Bored with taunting me with glimpses of what lies beneath, she sets out to get the bad guy. She finds Gresham giving a tour of his district, South Gotham, and the pitiful conditions folks are forced to live in there. Gresham then falls through the rotting flooring of one of the tenements and into the basement where the huntress is waiting for him. There she confronts him, tossing one of his firebombs at him. They get into a tussle. The device goes off, and Gresham says one of my all-time favorite comic book lines ever. I! <laughs> well, if
0: this was a if this was a TV show, that would have been a Wilhelm scream. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's Which, lovely. by the way,
0: thanks to you and Chris, I noticed two of them at the end of the 2005 Fantastic Four movie.
1: My kids are really good about spotting Wilhelm screams. I'm so proud, I'm telling you. <laughs> their hearing is so much better than mine, so now they point them out to me when we watch movies. It's pretty cool. By the way, that uh, that IE is spelled with four I's. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> So the story ends with Helena back at work, looking all angelic and thinking to himself uh, that she won't, quote, waste any tears crying for a man who was murdered, uh, who was a murderer a hundred times over. And I'm thinking to myself, hooray for good old fashioned vigilante justice. Yeah, He's no no in. shit.
0: Considering who her dad is. Yeah. yeah no <laughs> and how many shit. people he let die at the beginning of his career.
1: You know, I had to kind of go over that end sequence a couple of times to make myself feel better about it because it's really not ambiguous. But the first couple of times I looked at this, I really thought, wow, did she just kind of kill that guy without being positive that he really was the guy? Because if you look at the panel, it's on page 62, the last panel. She's tossing that bomb at him. And he looks horrified. He's going, what are you talking about? I never saw that before. And I'm thinking, what if she's wrong? You know, what if she's got the wrong dude? But, uh, but, but the then fact I,
0: that he tried to kill her before.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Well, then she even says, you know, she has uh, photos of you and your man Friday hiding the bomb in that building last night, at which point he snaps. And he's like, no, I won't let you ruin my scheme, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, just for a moment, when I, when I kept looking at that one panel... I just had that that twinge of doubt, you know, that she was firebombing the wrong guy. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, like God, I hope she's right. <laughs> I mean, not that she intended I don't think she intended for him to get hurt. You know, I I think it was one of those deals where you know, like you find the bomb, you disarm it, and then you toss it at the bad guy to show them that you know I defeated your evil scheme, kind of thing. But in this case, it was uh, where does it say here? The Huntress hears the telltale click of a miscalculation as the incendiary device Gresham had uh, hidden to convince the government team of the urgency of the problem goes off. So she didn't intend for him to get hurt, but still, there's still that element of she killed that guy, you know, <laughs> whether she intended to or not, he's dead. And he it, it, and it didn't end pretty. I mean, he burned up, so. yeah. It's it's um, kind of a stain on 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 Huntress's on Huntress's career, I think. Don't don't you? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I,
0: I I no. It's not like I don't think she did it on purpose. I think. Oh no, no just, I know
1: she didn't. But
0: it's just the natural. You know, this this is Earth Two. Things work a little differently here. You know, it. it I I think Earth Two Earth Two is a little more of a, a wild west mentality. Yeah. When it comes with hero versus villain, just because it comes from the Golden Age, where Damn, I mean, it, you know, it's not his entire early career, but a lot of those early Batman issues, it's like he's punching dudes into their death all the time and mowing yeah. down monsters with machine gun fire from his plane. I mean, Well, didn't it Superman just makes and sense. Batman
1: both like throw people off roofs and shit like that?
0: You know, I I've been trying to find like an instance where Superman actually killed somebody, but he came damn close and he didn't really care when somebody died either. Right. He he didn't shed any tears over that. So.
1: Yeah, there was there was a healthy degree in a lot of those old stories, you know, the, the old, old you know, golden age stuff of like you say, they might not have killed people, but they didn't stand around blatant if somebody did meet a horrible end either. Nine times out of ten they would even say something to the effect of, well, that son of a bitch got what he deserved, you know, which I love that when I read those old stories. Yeah. I just, I, I love that stuff. I really do. Cause you just don't see that in modern comics, you know, except for like the punisher, you know, if, if, if some bad guy, no matter how bad, I mean, you, you could have, you know, some bad guy go in and kill like, you know, a, a, a fully loaded church or something. <sighs> And then he meets a horrible end, and, and, you know, depending on who the hero is, he might shed a tear or something. Back in this day, they were a jaywalker. They get run over and killed. Batman's like, goddamn right. He got what he deserved. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I love it.
0: Um, a couple notes in the art. Yes, I, I like her in her yellow workout outfit. Uh, Helena looks kind of good. Um, it always struck me when I read this the first time and when I read this again that um, – the councilman should be played by Rip Torn who was the uh the boss in uh, men in black and Michael Clark Duncan should totally play his uh Friday Yeah, his, his, yeah, Friday cuz he's freaking huge. So
1: <laughs> this, you know,
0: I have to say that this felt like the 70s superhero TV pilot it should have been.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. It does feel like a TV show.
0: I mean, and that's a good thing, because I think it kicks off her series well. It, it establishes her in her own world. We get to see how she deals with it. You know, we get her supporting cast. And it really seemed like, unlike Power Girl, that Levitt's put a lot of thought into Huntress and her world.
1: <laughs> There's, there are many sequences in this, now that I look back at it, where I can kind of hear that 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 transition music, you know, do 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 Oh, this is very. Are
0: you doing like the transition music from the Captain America movies? Oh, I don't know. I
1: don't know. I was thinking it was like the Hulk or something. I don't know. It's just that quiet little... Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: And like when she's walking down the street, you hear the waka waka
1: Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it.
0: No, it's it's. I liked the story overall. You know, there's nothing really deep about it. It's not like I had it figured out in the second issue. uh, When when that uh, councilman said, you know, even you know, we can even get a child to help us out. I'm like, ah, that's where it is. I wasn't part in the rebirth of this city (laughs) and i'm like well that's it because because levitt's tried to set up douchebag as the red herring yeah it's the bad guy yeah but unfortunately not because frankly i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have shed a tear if he got blown up with (laughs) an incendiary device at the end of the story too
1: she should have gone and got that guy and thrown him into the fire at the end of the thing
0: (laughs) i'm dead serious man she should have just hauled off and kicked him in the nuts (laughs) like (laughs) with a pow
1: i'm really hoping that before we get to the crisis that something horrible happens to this guy because
0: i don't think he's in the series again
1: oh that's a shame well i mean i I guess when you think about it you know earth 2 ends up you know erased from existence so ultimately he got his but still you know
0: I'd hate to think that he has an Earth One counterpart, though. Oh God! That's even more of a douchebag. No, it's it's it. It was a very simple kind of whodunit, you know, kind of playing into that seventies relevance uh, motif. With you know, well, we're worried about South Gotham, which, which which again makes it feel like a pilot to a superhero show from the uh, from the seventies, but it. It's just awesome. The artwork was good. She did very well on her own. Uh the Huntress really worked well outside of the JSA in addition to working well within the JSA. You know, frankly I think she is the the best Earth 2 character ever created. Yeah, which is why it's a damn shame that she got totally fucked over by the crisis on earth. They
1: they really should have tried harder to do something with her like what they did with Power Girl. You know, yeah. I, I really don't understand why why Power Girl was allowed to stick around and the Huntress wasn't, you know? Because mm-hmm. I I can't get into the post-crisis Huntress. Without her being literally a member of the Batman family, you know, in in this case, she's you know the daughter of the Earth Two Batman. You know, without that connection, I, I just I never bought the current Huntress. I mean, she's just some chick, you know. She she's got well, no... they
0: tried. I'll have to give them. They really tried. I mean, the the Huntress series that came out in eighty nine. Uh, that was done by Joey Cavalieri and drawn by Joe Staten. You know, it wasn't a bad series, and they really— tra- it w- it was one of those DC books that was kind of on the edge of being not Vertigo, but more adult. Yeah, it was, it was a much more violent book. But when Chuck Dixon got a hold of her, I think he did some interesting things in making her trying to be part of the Bat Family, and that not quite working out. Uh, Greg Rucka. Wrote a great miniseries with her and the Question uh, that I really, really liked. Uh, but yeah, you're oh, right. I wasn't if
1: aware you... of that. See, I thought that thing with her and the Question was, was strictly uh, a, a JLU thing.
0: No, they uh, they weren't hooked up or anything. Oh, okay. They uh, they, t- they were teamed up for uh, an adventure, and Rick Burchett did the artwork.
1: Oh, so I'd it's like Greg check, Rucka yeah. and Rick
0: Burchette. it was fucking awesome. I'd like to um, check that.
1: I like his art,
0: and but you're right. You know that she never recovered. She still hasn't recovered. You know the, the You know she can be an awesome member of Birds of Prey all day long. When you look back on how great she was here, it kind of taints it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it did for me. Because I was familiar with the Huntress post-crisis. You know, I didn't read these these stories until man, like three or four years ago. And after reading those stories and after reading her in the in All-Star Comics, I'm like, that's a damn shame that we couldn't do more with this great character. And Paul Levitz, you know, he's the fucking publisher. How do you think he feels? Yeah. And because DC Comics are... They they want to have the iconic characters and they want to have the iconic concepts, but they don't want to actually deal with them. They just want it to be all style and no substance. You know, they're not going to say, okay, screw it. Crisis on Infinite Earths is undone. Earth 1 is back. Earth 2 is back. You know, and try to make sense of it that way. Because I think that would have – I would have accepted that more than what they did – what they're doing now.
1: I right? still would. I, I still yeah. would. I You know? I don't, I don't think that I would, I really don't think I have any hangups with that idea anymore, you know, because it's
0: better than the half-ass shit
1: that that we're getting. Honestly. Yeah. I, I feel exactly that way. And if they were to actually publish at least one book that was strictly a, an earth two centric book, it would give me something to latch onto again. In in the DC multiverse, uh-huh. you know, in the in the DC titles, because then that way they could go off and they could do whatever they want to with the DC universe proper. And they could have, you know, all the current stuff that's going on over there that I, I just don't really care for or care about. But give me Earth Two, give me a corner. You know, and, and, yeah, and bring that back. Paul
0: Levitts and Jerry Ordway, right? You know, do, be the you know their artistic team. I mean, that would make me happy.
1: Oh, I I could really get into that. I, I'm serious, dude. I could. But they're uh,
0: working on Superman Batman right now. By the way. Hmm. So uh, exactly I haven't read good. the, the first. I haven't read the first issue yet, but it's Jerry Ordway, so I'm excited. Hmm. I love his artwork. What's I'm gonna doing really have to. State? I have no idea. Uh getting uh doing like pro to pro interviews with Ethan Van Skyver, I think.
1: Yeah, that was about the last thing I think I've read of his. Which that uh that that article really pissed me off. The the yeah, Van Skyver no part of it did. But that's that's a conversation for I a whole another day. But uh <laughs> real quick, um I'm not sure. Do you you do you have the actual paper issues? You don't have no, the actual... No, cool. this is
0: the first time on this podcast that I am dealing with it strictly from trades. And I feel kind of bad about that, but I, I just I don't, don't have the issues.
1: Yeah, I don't feel bad because we're going to move into for, for a while anyway, we're going to move into some things where I unfortunately don't have paper issues myself. But uh, um, I went through and was looking at, uh, you know, 17 through 19 had ads in them. And uh, just I just made note of a few of them that, that kind of leapt out at me that I thought were worth talking about. In number uh, 18, God, this brought back memories seeing this ad. It is a Wonder Bread ad and free in Wonder Bread during this time were free trading cards for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And oh, wow. I don't know if I still have them, but I had some of these. And, you know, the first time I ever laid eyes... On Star Wars cards, they were Wonder Bread cards. They were the the classic black border Star Wars cards, and I never did get a complete set of them. But I, I've got a good many of them. But I, I can remember there's a a classic Luke Skywalker pose, where Luke's standing there and he's he's kind of in profile and he's holding a, a gaffe stick. And uh, I just always thought that was really cool. It's one of my favorite Luke Skywalker pictures to this very day, just because it was off of a Wonder Bread card. <laughs> but uh, I, I need to ask our buddy uh, Chris Honeywell if, if he if still got any of his uh, Close Encounters Wonder Bread cards, because I think he he may have had a complete or near complete collection of those at one time. Because I, I, he was always a, a bigger fan of Close Encounters than I was. Not you know, I mean, I'm a huge fan, but I, he was just that much that much more beyond me. Being a fan of that, but uh, let's see what else here. Also in uh, in number eighteen, I don't know that we've talked about this before. Let's see if I can find where this is. These pages are not fully numbered, so unfortunately, I could only make the barest of references here. Oh yeah, here we are, right near the end of the issue during the Man Bat story. We've got the battle nearly four decades in the making: Superman versus Shazam. Dun, dun, dun. All new 72-page 72, uh, 72 tabloid thriller by Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and Dick Giordano. Man, we've got to cover this at some point. I'm, uh-huh. You know, it's been so long since I've read that thing. I can't remember a thing about it other than I know that there's a great... I'm pretty sure it's a two-page full splash where they're fighting over Niagara Falls. That's about the only thing I can remember from that book. So I really want to read that again and cover that on a, on a show. We've got to do that somewhere down the line and let's see what else we've got here in issue 19. Let's see if I can find this. It says during the Batgirl story. So where is this? Oh yeah, here we are. We got a full page, the DC explosion. One of those uh, house ads. We've got one for, uh, Meet Cinnamon in Weird Western Tales by Roger McKenzie and Jack Abel. We've got uh, Shazam by E. Nelson Bridwell, Don Newton, and Kurt Schaffenberger in the pages of uh, World's Finest. I'm still working on collecting a uh, the full run of that. And I've got probably like nine-tenths of it. I'm telling you, that's some great stuff. Great, great stuff. I love Don Newton's uh, Captain Marvel, especially his Captain Marvel Jr. And also the Human Target. By Len Wein and Dick Giordano in the pages of uh, Brave and the Bold. Is that TV show still going? By the way,
0: Brave and the Bold?
1: No, the uh, uh, Human Target.
0: Yes, it got picked up for another season. Cool, cool. I have. I, I need to, to check, see it.
1: Yeah, I have yet to check I hear it good out. Things. Yeah, me I hear too. Very good things. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing too. Is that it's supposedly it's an excellent show. I, so I just for some reason I never. I don't know why I never got into the human target, but if i if I ever get the chance, I might start checking out some of those old appearances. Here's
0: a, here's a question. Did you ever watch the Rick Springfield series?
1: <laughs> no, I'll have to ask my wife if she did because she is a a nut for uh, for Rick Springfield
0: It was produced by the same guys that did the flash television series
1: that's right, yeah i remember I remember here well didn't uh didn't Springfield guest star? Or no, he didn't. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, the other that other teen idol guy. What the hell was his name? David Cassidy. David Cassidy. Thank you. Yeah. He's the Mirror Master. Yes. Yep, yep that's right.
0: And Bill Mumy was in an episode too. That's right. Bill Mumy was in like just about every comic book related thing though, because he's a big comic book fan.
1: He's so. cool as hell, man. Bill Mumy. Yeah, he
0: is. Oh yeah. God, yes.
1: He he is. He's a really cool guy. And let's see. We also had. Oh, here it is. I don't know if you have these in your collection, Mike. Um, I'm not sure what they price for these days, but I I managed to snag these at some point. This is an ad for uh, volume two of The Art of Neil Adams. No. And, uh, man, I love – I mean, the art in these is is, is gorgeous, you know, because it's Neil Adams – but the coolest thing to me about both volumes of that, all I've, I've got volumes one and two. I don't know if there were more than that, but I, those, that's all I've got in my collection. But the covers were uh, were fully colored and everything, whereas the interiors, I, I I could be wrong, but I think they were strictly black and white. I, I could be wrong. I need to dig those out and look at them. But anyway, the co- the covers were in color, and the covers had a mashup of Marvel and DC characters. So on one of them, you've got this little mouse. I think his name was Atomic Mouse or something like that. And he is bracing himself between Superman and some Marvel character. I want to say it might have been Captain America. And it looks like they're going to tussle. And then there was another one where Superman's like throwing debris out of the way. And Atomic Mouse is like hiding and it looks like, like the Marvel and DC characters have teamed up to try to find Atomic Mouse. So it's a weird cover, but it's beautiful because it's Neil Adams. But that's the one they're advertising here is the, uh, is the second one where Superman's throwing like the big rock out of the way. But, uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance to, uh, to take a look at those, check them out because they're, they're just unfricking believable. And, uh, and they feature a lot of, Adam's work when he would do like movie posters later on and stuff. Cause he, he worked on like the, uh, the 76 King Kong. He did the posters for that. And some, some other projects like that, like towering Inferno and stuff like that. I think a lot of that artwork is, uh, is reprinted in those if I remember properly. But beyond that, the only other thing I got is for the first time, seemingly, it seems like this has been forever since this has happened. But we have the return of the hostess ad. Yes. And there was much rejoicing. Hostess. Now let me find this. This is during. the
0: Like the official return of the hostess ad. It's not, uh, not that story we covered earlier in the episode.
1: <laughs> no, this is the official return. Where the hell is. Uh, here we are. This is almost in the middle of issue 18. Right. Right. After the beginning of the Robin story, all right. You're needing to look this up, right?
0: Aquaman and the Imperiled. Sub That's it. That it right is it. Thank you, Seanbaby.com. All
1: right. Who do you want to be here?
0: You're usually Aquaman, so we'll stick with that.
1: I'm going to be Aquaman. Does Aquaman even say anything?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, he does. Goes.
1: Okay, there he goes. Okay. So right. I'll be
0: I'll be Aqua and okay. the uh, and the two guys. <laughs> all like right.
1: All right, I'll read the captions as well. Okay. All right, so here we go. We've got Aquaman and the imperiled sub. Aquaman and Aqualab are out for a pleasant gallop on the waves when...
0: Holy catfish, Aquaman! A tidal wave coming up fast. We'll be thrown on the rocks.
1: Dive, youngster, dive. Deep enough, we'll be okay.
0: Look, a miniature research sub.
1: They're not powerful enough to outrun that tidal wave. They'll be crushed, unless... And the King of the Seas calls upon his telepathic power. Powers to bring a horde of friendly dolphins alongside. These dolphins will get the sub to shore fast. One last push, and the sub will be safe on land. Sometime later...
0: Our rescue calls for a celebration. Have some of our Hostess Twinkie Cakes. One good turn deserves another. You'll like the rich, moist cake and delightful cream filling as much as we do.
1: All right, a tidal wave for these delicious cakes any time.
0: And you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie Cakes.
1: Now, I just have to ask, what the hell was... was uh Thurston Howell III doing on this. I was just
0: just trying to do different voices. (laughs) That is called, by the way, I found out that is called the um, Harvard Lockjaw, (laughs) is what that is termed as. (laughs) And it's really easy to do. All you have to do is just just make your lower jaw just not move at all, and that's the sound that comes out.
1: (laughs) Alright, on the surface no pun intended this one seems to be fairly straightforward with nothing particularly uh, stupid or anything about it let's see if we can find something to mock or, or point out that's I guess there's I mean would a what a tidal rate does a tidal wave hurt a submarine no that, that's the sad
0: thing is I can't find anything about this that doesn't make a whole I mean it, it makes sense it's a pretty linear story
1: but does uh, would a tidal wave hurt a sub?
0: I guess if it was affecting things, if the wave was—I don't know. I have no idea. Oh, you got wrong. it.
1: I've got it. Okay. Aquaman and Aqualad are so preoccupied hanging out with these dudes and eating Twinkies, they totally forget—they forget to push the dolphins back into the water, <laughs> and they're beached.
0: I gotta tell you though, this. We, we really had to stretch for this one, which doesn't bode well for uh, for us versus the hostess ads, because I think they won this time. This time, hostess ads. Damn you,
1: hostess ads.
0: But well, stay tuned to Back time. to the, the Bends, because at some point we're going to do that Thor versus the Galactic <laughs> Hillbillies. <laughs> complete with banjo music, just tearing on through.
1: I think that's about all I got for this one. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that's about that, that that's it for this week. What are we covering next week again?
1: Uh well before we get there, I just need to point out um our, our reprint stats as Oh yes, well, okay. Now um sadly, Batman Family number seventeen, which was the one you'll recall at the beginning of the episode where uh Huntress was present for most of the book, has not been reprinted. Sorry about that. Cue the sad trombone. However, 18 through 20, the uh, the Huntress portions anyway, have been reprinted in Huntress' Dark Knight Daughter trade paperback from 2007. Now, next time on Tales of the Justice Society of America, we will be covering Green Lantern, issues 108 through 112, which uh, features some i think it's it's half and half like some of it is backup stories and then some of it is like like the two green lanterns teaming up but the golden age green lantern the earth two green lantern will be uh in those books and also flat uh flash number 268 which also has the earth two green lantern in it so uh so all those books what is that that's five five or six books so cool
0: very awesome. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and
1: Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com.
0: Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend, and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at
1: www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for
0: listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America.